0: Welcome to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. I'm a professor, OD consultant, and change strategist, helping individuals and organizations experience life to the fullest and engaging in positive transformational change. Well, Welcome to another episode of Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. Today, I'm visiting with Dr. Mike Miller, who is a uh, professor in higher education and um also has served in senior administrative roles in higher education so hopefully we're gonna have some good conversation around this this landscape around higher education and leadership in higher education and how we how we train leaders in that field and, and kind of just how how they navigate what's going on so it's very dynamic field so mike welcome
1: Thanks, Jim. You know, we, we go back a long way, and uh, it's, it's good to be with you today, and it's, it's, it's a fa- fascinating topic, absolutely fascinating, especially in these kind of times of uh, COVID and times of
0: financial change and societal interest in what higher education is all about. Yeah, I know that uh, you and I went to our doc program years ago at, at Nebraska. We won't say how, how long ago. It was a couple, <laughs> couple of years ago. And our paths went, paths went completely different directions and then we we both ended up at the at the university of arkansas which is kind of interesting so you know a 30-year span of, of then reconnecting so it's it's been fun getting back in the same department so what what do you see as some of the kind of the key some of the key challenges shaping um leadership in higher ed
1: well i, I you know we, we kind of have, have talked about before the idea of what the role of, of contemporary higher education is and what societal expectations of it are. And, and uh, that's really kind of set against a backdrop of what policymakers and politicians want. And, and everybody kind of wants the same thing and everybody wants something that's a little bit different. I mean, you know, students kind of want a good time. You know, students want to go to a beautiful campus. And, and campuses, higher education as a, as, a, as a set of facilities has never been more beautiful than it is today. I mean, everybody, if if you went to a Disney, you know, movie set, that's what the University of Alabama looks like. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean it's a better enterprise, but in terms of structure, a lot of that, a lot of the capital that were kind of falling apart in the 60s have been reinvested and rebuilt and, and you've got kind of an infrastructure that looks better than ever before. But, you you know, you've you've got politicians who want you to be an engaged citizen. They want you to, be a healthy individual who contributes to society. Parents want kid, their kids to go to college and get a high-paying job. Employers want people to be trained in their specific way. I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's confusing right now. Uh, you know, Faculty members want to say, well, we've got academic freedom and we want to make these decisions, but you've got these fierce pressures from benefactors, legislators, you know, everybody has a, has a voice in what, what's trying to happen on the college campus today. And I'm, not, I'm not sure ultimately where that goes, but I think that you know, as you see some population declines, you're going to have institutions trying to figure out how to respond and change a little bit differently than they have over, over the past thirty or forty years.
0: Yeah, it really brings to question, you know, what what is the role of the academy, and 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 is there still a sense of an academy, you know, or is it a is it a um, you know a corporate training ground? Um, you know, what kind of what is that role of, of the campus experience? And
1: Well, I think, you know, you're, you're a student of organizational behavior. I mean, if, if you don't have a, a firm mission or vision for what you expect from the academy, everything else kind of becomes, you know, uh, clouded. And I think that that's really where we are. I mean, we're, we invest in things that are, are odd, that are not real consistent with what the historical mission of the institution has been. And, uh, and I think it, it causes a lot of confusion. And, and the result, you know, one of the things we have mentioned in the past is that notion that you suddenly have people who just see this as an industry to work in rather than something that's, that's an altruistic, uh, empathy-based career of instruction and research. You know, it, it, it's a paycheck, and it pays better than ever before. You know, your average SEC presidency is over a million dollars a year.
0: Yeah, so the, the idea of teaching as a vocation uh, is maybe um, shifted or, or maybe no longer really exists. And we were talking earlier, too, about the, the career path of senior administrators, that, that that has shifted, that it seems like more and more institutions are hiring um, kind of career administrators or people completely from outside of academia to, to serve in that you know, that senior um, leader role.
1: Yeah, and that, that's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's it, it creates a different outcome. I mean, when you have, you know, a politician become a college president, you know, that, that that's a different set of experiences that kind of end up on campus. I mean, you, you know, a politician has a different notion of how you respond to constituents than, say, someone who has spent a, a lifetime Teaching and evaluating students, uh, you know, and, and similarly, you've got people coming from finance and the and business backgrounds are very popular. Uh, you have people saying, "No, oh, I'm a great fundraiser, so I'm going to be a president," and and that's not bad, but it's it's different, and it creates a different direction for the academy. And as as the academy is really kind of rudderless, trying to figure out where it's going to go, those kinds of experiences don't necessarily help direct it, you know, and and. Um, and so often, I think that people just say, "Oh, we're going to have a strategic plan and a vision." And if you go on you know, you go on a hundred websites, ninety-nine of them sound almost identical, you know. And so there's a real lack of societal expectation for what higher education ought to be about, and that that bleeds over then into who administrators are and what they're doing.
0: How does that How does that play out with, um, like the your teaching, your your role? um where you're training um you know college administrators how, how does that kind of intersect
1: well i think that uh when you, we have younger students say under the age of 30 a lot of them are are kind of like pinky in the brain they want to rule the world you know they that everybody wants to be a president everybody wants to be a vice president for student affairs or, or you know something like that and i think that as they age uh that mellows a little bit but it, in those introductory kinds of courses and those Uh, Master's levels and early doctoral students, a lot of them have this kind of ambition, which on the one hand is is wonderful because as a teacher, you want to see that kind of commitment, that excitement. But on the other hand, it's kind of not a real critical thinking experience about where they're going to go. So when when we've had um, more mature graduate students, for example, some uh, are better equipped to question Kind of what's going on, and I'll give you, I'll give you I'll give you an example. You know, I teach a, a finance and higher education course, and and everybody wants to say, oh, the state is just completely disinvested, and budgets are horrible, and the state doesn't support us. And almost to a person, people just nod their heads and say, that's right. We don't get our fair share, our fair share. And so to try and convince them that that's maybe not the case is is very difficult. You know, people don't want to look at how state has. Segmented out and follows a student often more than a direct allocation or they don't want to look at how money goes to workforce development and then to a higher education institution. They look at one little piece of it. And, you know, uh, Michigan got in trouble for this when they said, you know, the state only gave them about 4% of their budget, but then the state got really angry and said Take out athletics, take out your medical enterprise, take out all of your insurance billing and that 4% the state gave them was really something like 45 to 50% of the instructional budget but we, we don't want to hear that and students don't want to hear that. And trying to get them to question some of those things when they're so fixated on, on a job becomes a real issue.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, some of what you're hearing, like from some of the parents or just from, you know, online about um, with so many of the universities going kind of all online is, um, you know, should they get a refund of portion of the tuition and which, brings to light that whole campus experience that you were just talking about, about the, you know, the, um, you know, some of the, the, the huge amenities and, you know, the Disney World type experience of some campuses. And, and how does that translate then into online education?
1: You know, I, you know when, when we were in graduate school together, we were running around Seton Hall and you could walk down to the basement, you could get French fries and a Coke or you get coffee from a vending machine and a paper cup. I mean, it was, was wasn't very exotic, you know. Uh, it seems to me that, that people use this phrase, the student experience, and it's really, it's a dangerous word or dangerous phrase because they equate the student experience with being something like Disney World. Right, we want everything to be Georgian architecture, and we want the lawn cut twice a week, and we want recycling stations and outdoor fitness centers, and we want a world class rec center. And what they kind of forget about the student experience is, you know, facing pressure, facing crisis, learning to build friendships, having challenges that force you to be able to deal and adapt in different ways. It, it's doing without, and you know, I, I, you can't ever kind of go back and just change everything but the expectations become so different from what it has been. I think that the modern institution is really kind of
0: struggling with where to go next. Yeah, I, I look back and I remember the, the, someone used the phrase my freshman year of college that, that the, the key part of, of that on-campus experience was sharing a light switch yeah, the idea of being thrown in with somebody very different from yourself that you were in a in a dorm room with, and and so and and how cha- how much that's changed. We don't even use the word dorm anymore. Dormitory. That's yeah. That's you it's now residence hall. Yeah, it's a residence hall, and and yeah, and that has very much shifted. And so um, yeah, and I think that um, I I don't. Do you think parents are are more involved in higher education than they were? generation or so ago
1: absolutely absolutely and I I don't know why that is I mean it, it, it could be just more reporting it could be uh, you know massive amount of information access it could be that um, you know I, I don't know what what's caused it but parents um, parent-child relationships are very different I think also I mean they, a lot of parents see their child as their friend you know they want to they want to call on their cell phone to their child and say, how was your first day of class? How did you do on that test? How did you, you know, what did you have for dinner? What did you have for breakfast? And, uh, you know, when I was in the dean's office, the number of times a parent would call in and want to know why something was happening was was pretty frequent. You know, often, often the student didn't necessarily have the complete story. And maybe sometimes the student was telling mom or dad uh, a version of the story, uh, you know, and, uh, it just, it really has changed, I think, and it's gotten increasingly uh, parent-involved. And I, d- I don't know that that's good.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, it, it, not to, I mean, kind of jumping to a little bit different topic, but, but sort of related tangen- tangentially is, you know, we were talking earlier about kind of the difference between um, student learning versus student success and And what does that look like? and I think that that relates to what some of the parents are concerned about. and so um, you know we hear a lot about retention rates, we hear a lot about graduation rates and and there's there's even I think there's pressure from funding sources tied to graduation rates so what what's kind of your take on on that the idea of student learning versus student success? well jim you you've caught me in a very contrarian mood today.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, I, 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 well, I, think, I think the implication even from your question is that you know where I'd go, where I'd stand on this. I mean, you know, states, uh, well, there, there are two, two sides. There are two, two this. I, think, I think one, you're absolutely right. I think that the notion of student success has become de facto on time or rates. And I don't think that's necessarily a good measure of student learning or student return on investment from being in higher education. I mean, you can graduate in four years and be completely unemployable, or you can graduate in, you know, 10 years and be completely employable. But, uh, and and an element of that is really kind of the development of the student as a whole person. And we forget about that. Uh, Divisions of student affairs are on their last legs, I think. And they've been, you know, eclipsed by enrollment management. And and removing a lot of that voice of talking about how you challenge students Emotionally and physically and developmentally so that they become the mature adult they will become has really been lost in the conversation. The other part of this though is uh, when you have states that, that decide they want to mandate funding or a portion of funding for some performance measure like like retention rates in our state or stem majors in another state or minority students in another state. It kind of reflects that the state governments and policymakers are struggling to hold on to control of higher education, uh, and they're trying to find ways to say, you know, you can't just do whatever the hell you want to do. You, you, you've you got a responsibility to the public here. And, you know, public performance funding has never worked in the history of performance funding in years of it. It's It's been kind of fits and starts something that's around for five or eight or 10 years and kind of goes away, and, uh, you know, we in Arkansas, where our historic college didn't meet the performance metric and the state immediately said, oh, well, we're not going to penalize you for it. And so everybody just kind of throws up their shoulders and say, well, you know, okay. So I think that state control is a real element that, that needs to be addressed in there somewhere. But when it comes down to students and, you know, I, I don't want to sound like uh, like your grandpa sitting around saying, I wish higher education the way it was 100 years ago. But I think that as I've alluded, we've kind of lost our direction as to where we're trying to go and what we ought to be doing. And institutions are becoming increasingly fiscal agents that are independent of the state or tied to the state. And as that happens, this idealistic role of being purveyors of knowledge and uh, so on, become kind of less critical to what happens. I'm not trying to be pessimistic.
0: No, no. And I think that one of the things that i that I kind of am concerned about is that, can, that what can get lost in, in some of the pressure for schools to be a certain, um, you know, the, uh, be a certain way. And it's, it goes back to that idea of does the academy still exist or is it just becoming a, a you know, a, a training ground of kind of four years of vocational education um, where people are being trained for specific, you know, jobs. Um, is the piece around uh, the research component and, and around the, the creative endeavor that that flows out of, of our higher education system? That um, that just a, the wealth of, of new inventions, new ideas that really flow from you know the, all the, the creative minds at, on college campuses.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, when you when you when you uh, financially incentivize all of that. It, it kind of destroys risk-taking a bit, and it certainly creates a caste system on campus. I mean, you know, the, the, the guys sitting over in the School of Education are pretty low in the totem pole compared to the people in engineering, and it's not because they're they're less smart. It's because the people over in engineering are inventing Gatorade that you know turns millions and millions of dollars to campus, and you're, uh, somebody's work in building a more inclusive school doesn't have a financial return, and so, The institution as a fiscal entity values things differently.
0: That's a great point.
1: It's, it's, but let me also say, I think that higher education today is, is, is pretty savvy. I mean, I think institutions are increasingly, um, well run. I think community colleges are doing a fantastic job in terms of meeting employer needs and serving as community agents. And I think a lot of comprehensive institutions and doctoral institutions uh, do a really good job. But I, I, I'm afraid that it's kind of that 100, 150 uh, ins- big land grant universities have just really kind of shifted in their mentality about why they exist. And I, I, I don't know that, I, th- I think it's fluid too. I think that what the conversation will be different in 15 years than it is today.
0: So what 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 uh, what career advice would you give to a young aspiring um, person that that wants to wants to move into college administration you know that that late 20s early 30s person that is early in their career and they 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 see that as a desirable career path to um, to, to get their doctorate in higher education and, and change the world
1: well I, th- I think that well that's just it it's it- you're not going to change the entire world, you're going to change a part of the world, and you need to feel really passionate about the area you're going to work in. You have to believe in that area. And you also have to understand, you know, that that where you are at 30 years old is going to be different than where you are at 40 years old. and It's where you're, you're different when you're at 50 years old. So you've got to really kind of have a, a strong affinity for the, the work you're going to be doing. And, and recognize that it changes and that it requires you to, to evolve constantly. And, and, you know, Jim, you're kind of the change master, so you, you can talk about how that happens for people. But, you know, a big part of it's continuing to learn and, and earning a doctoral degree certainly is the base credential you, you need for a career in higher education, but you've got to continue to learn to kind of reinvent some of the things that you do. And, uh, you know, it, the, the world the changing world around us—it touches every single academic discipline here, from from history through engineering and education—and so people have got to change. And you know, you and I get older, but students are still often the same age, so yeah. you relate to them. You know, you hear so often people uh, talking about oh, students today are this or that. It's it's you know they're they're the future. I mean, they're. they're we're intending to engage with, and so we've got to figure out how to meet them on their level and understand what they value.
0: Yeah, and then I think we're we're tasked with continuing to to grow and, and evolve in our thinking as well. And I think that hopefully that's something that that we discover as we get older is that, you know, the the older we get, the realize that we don't know as much as we thought we did, and so um, maybe that that awareness of not knowing everything actually makes us a little bit more insightful or, or open to new ideas. Wiser. We are wiser. Wiser. I hope so. Yeah,
1: Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's it's a fascinating time to be working in higher education. And, um, I I think that it's important that at some, some point, at some level, uh, the entire higher education industry, is able to center some of what they're doing uh more on student learning and using student learning as the, the words rather than student success um i mean not not to discount student success i mean that that of course is important but it doesn't need to be the primary driving element of why we exist
0: yeah that the the success should be an outcome of the learning that's taken place
1: yeah absolutely, and, absolutely. yeah
0: and tying those two together that that learning becomes synonymous with success. Yeah. yeah. Not not easy to measure, but, yeah. No, but
1: we'd we just we, we love to measure everything, don't we? And then we'd like to use those measurements to determine whether you're good or bad, and who's better than who.
0: Yeah. And who, who was it that said not everything that, that um, can be measured matters, and not everything that matters can be measured, and so... Um, which I think we could have a whole philosophical debate around qualitative research around that notion, but, oh, yeah. uh, uh, but I think it's, it certainly um, helps to broaden our perspective around um, what, that, what that learning looks like and should look like or could look like.
1: So, yeah, and I think, I think you're seeing some of that now with, uh, with the response to COVID and the shift to online learning. I think that, you know, we've kind of known online's out there and we've known online has been hugely profitable. Um, But I mean, uh, there are two parts. I mean, one is I think that online learning can be incredibly productive. I think that it can be very meaningful and students can truly learn and engage and it's not all bad. But it's also not all good. And I think the reason that higher education institutions have gotten into it is to make money. Yeah. I mean it's I mean, it, it and idealistically it's it's about serving people who can't come to your campus. But you know, when when you're serving when you live in Arkansas and you're serving people in Alaska and New Jersey, that's something different. The motivation's different.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's very different than trying to reach the rural parts of your state. Um, versus, like you said, becoming this um, coast-to-coast destination.
1: Yeah. Because it's an affordable product or some unusual product that you're selling. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, and that's something that I've kind of grappled with in the last 10 years of my academic career, as I've been more and more associated with online programs, is, you know, are are they, you know, are, are we doing it in that, delivering it in that format because it makes sense uh, from a curriculum standpoint and from a, you know, learning model standpoint, or is it, um, purely, you know, financially driven and, and how to, um, how to find that, that strike that balance,
1: you know, and so that that's kind of the, uh, the institutional change question that we, that higher education doesn't like to deal with. I mean, you know, if, if you are using public taxpayer dollars to support somebody's salary and the program is not of interest to the state, uh, you, then you, you know, kind of artificially inflate enrollment using people from around the country. I mean, that's, that's innovative, it's creative, but it's also, it, it's not kind of the role of the public agency to some extent. And yeah, we, um, we don't, we don't, we don't have those conversations.
0: Which kind of, it, it comes full circle to what you said at the very beginning of our chat around um, understanding your mission and, and what is it that you're about?
1: yeah absolutely. absolutely i mean if, if our job we were founded to serve the state but we don't want to do that we want to do what we want to do you know that's that's problematic
0: the long term it's problematic
1: um so and, and
0: yeah 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 well i, I will i will close with a, one of my favorite quotes from henry david thoreau who said it is not enough to be busy even the answer busy the question is what are we busy about and so um, you are wise. They, you are indeed wise, Dr. Oh, Maddox. Oh, oh I—it's uh, because I learned from from uh, the best. So. <laughs> well, Mike, this has been fun. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy day at the start of this semester to uh, chat, and uh, look forward to when we can uh, meet over a cup of coffee face to face. I look forward to it, Jim. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. If you want to connect more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and at my website, drjimmaddox.com. Thanks for listening.